A good conversation can shift the direction of change forever. Would you leave it to chance? Join the authors of Design to Change and explore this series of conversations with designers and event owners. Driven by the need and conversations with event owners and event designers who use the event canvas around the world, this series explores the depths of conversations to elevate your abilities to look and act beyond the now. Episodes are hosted by Rude Janssen, Rue Friesen, Dennis Lehrer, and Paul Rukens, with illustrious changemakers, designers, and pioneers in the field of design and beyond. To explore these conversations and additional content, visit designtochange.online. For now, let's start the conversation. My first time to hear And that is that is the the welcome laughter that we're getting from Sun Kagami, Sunny Brown. Which one do I use, Sun? So for today, let's use. Which one rolls off the tongue easier for you? I like Sunny. I like oh, you sun. like sun? Okay, good. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I like it too. That's my preference. But always people end up adding the other syllable and I'm like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. What I like is that sun is, it's uh, it's easily pronounced in many different languages. Yes. It's it probably means things in different languages. Course, you know, yeah. like usually good things. Yeah. Yeah. Which with my, <laughs> with my first name is not always the case. Yeah. Right. <laughs> how it's pronounced <laughs> do you pronounce it with a hood like that or is, do you yeah. say root okay. well you have an amazing pronunciation for somebody from texas originally thank you <laughs> <laughs> i speak spanish and french yeah. yeah yeah but thanks i've been practicing so, i wanted to impress you yeah welcome to the design to change podcast uh, son this is um a real treat uh something that's hey. been in the making for a while mm-hmm. um my colleague, Anthony Vade, when he does a little intro, popped a little question in there that you maybe presumed I was going to ask you, and I will ask you that in a minute. But before I do that, I just wanted to give a quick intro for people that have never met you or uh, seen you in action. Sure. Um, Sun Kagami, or Sunny Brown, as you might find her on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. um, is a founder and a best-selling author, facilitator, collaborative, collaboration designer. Um, you're a TED speaker. Um, a leader of the doodle revolution uh, <laughs> you're an innovate innovator in residence or were a former innovator in residence at mural a devoted zen practitioner and you have a substack under nothing in the way nothing in the way dot substack.com that's my most favorite project right now yeah the, the the first time i came across you and your name was actually when i picked up the book game storming Mm-hmm. Uh, that you co-authored uh, with a number of other people that have also been on this podcast, right? Uh, yeah. Oh, you've got James on here? Love yeah, James. They've, yeah. <laughs> they've been on this one as well. Um, oh, cool, yeah. And, I mean, I've come across you in different different places and spaces, um, mm-hmm. but you are, mm-hmm. you have a very interesting kind of way that you got into where you are today. We'll talk more about that in the podcast, but let me cool. start off with the question. A good sure. conversation can shift the direction of change forever. Would you mm. leave it to chance? I think you inevitably are leaving it to chance in a way, because like if you look at quantum mecha- quantum mechanics, you know, it's like my favorite, and I, not that I can represent that in an in, in a scientific intelligible way, but mm-hmm. for this, I'm just gonna go deep real fast, okay? 
expected nothing less from you. Right. So David Bohm is a physicist that isn't very, he's, I think he's getting more celebrated now, but he, he was sort of exiled by the academic community at the time of his work because of the provocative implications of his work. And I was revisiting his, some of his premises, which have to do with unified field theory and, um, inside of it, if I understand it correctly, and I think this is true for anybody who's sort of paying really close attention to life and how how fucking random it is, um, that you have both predictability and unpredictability, and they sort of happen simultaneously, and you have all this potentiation, and the potentiation can go either way, and so it's like people want it. It's, it's like, I think his theory is suggesting that there's sort of a Newtonianism and also this quantum relational um, unknowability. So I think there's no way we're not leaving some aspect of it to chance anyway. Um, even if we, even if we engineer the shit out of stuff, it's like, I mean, I haven't, right. Like, haven't you been humbled? I've been very humbled over the last 10 years, I would say around thinking that I'm like running stuff, you know, <laughs> I'm running anything. I'm like lucky if I, if it goes in the general direction that I want it to go, you know? Yeah. yeah. We're just falling down rabbit holes of, unknowability <laughs> i mean Which, we're, we're barely uh what is it you know, minutes into this super, and i've heard six words i've never heard about time. before <laughs> the other it's thing really you might want to know is that <laughs> yeah the sun also uses three pronouns that were that were there in her name i think even way before the pronoun kind of revolution hit the the landscape mm -hmm. um if you would see what i'm seeing you would see that it says she they stardust <laughs> we just spoke about that briefly do you want to explain where that came from son yeah well and i and i in all um transparency i stole it from this wonderful woman named besa who was in a chaplaincy training program with me she had it on her screen and i was like that's it that's that's the jam you know but i was already i was using she they prior to your point prior to the sort of um resurgence in a way of that conversation but mm. uh but I added Stardust because that was basis like piece. And I just thought, yes, because it's obviously accurate for all of us. Like all of us could use that as a pronoun, all beings, you know. Yeah. Um, but the they piece is relevant. I think the she piece is obvious. I was conditioned as a female and identify as a female. But the they piece is also we could all use it because it's, it has to do with the modularity of the mind, which means that the mind is evolved, evolutionarily evolved to yeah. have multiplicity. And to have multifacets so that we can have multiple strategies for survival. So everybody's a they, actually, um, psychologically and evolutionarily. So it's not really radical in a way. However, it's a, that's a whole different frame than the other conversations people have about gender politics and so forth. But yeah. um, so for me, it's very, it's it feels more appropriate to say like talking about myself. Like we, how do we feel? <laughs> Because there, I have because you have many feelings at once, right? It's like let's identify different feelings about one topic, you know. Yeah. Oh, and that's why I pointed out persona games for events and whatnot, because you can actually leverage that modularity in events, which is cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, what many people don't know, or might not know, is that um, <clears throat> what's coming next is still secret, right? But at the same time. Um, I'm going to ask you a question, which is what's currently on your horizon of change? Well, that's like why you and I reconnected, because 
I'm so inspired by what you and um, your team have done. I haven't met the other gentlemen in like a meaningful way. So otherwise I would use their names, but um Rul and Dennis, uh, Rul Frisson and Dennis Lyer and uh, Paul Wilkins is also part of this book, actually. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. So all of you guys, like what y'all built. I mean, I've been admiring it and from now from different lenses because it's kind of like what you asked, like what um, do you leave things up to chance? And I have this sort of now I have this sort of humility around. I'm not I even when I want to architect and engineer something, which I, I do. It doesn't feel like uh, it, ha it has to be in, on some level in resonance with the field or it won't really you, it's harder. It's, there's more friction in the experience. Mm -hmm. So I'm literally like at a crossroads, you know, in terms of where I put my energy and time. And I mean, it's, I think I can say like now about game storming the second edition, because it's it's like we're so close to it's signing a contract. OK, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oops. I, I didn't think hear it's that. Fine. I didn't hear that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and plus it's good to generate excite pre-excitement. But yeah, we're very, very close to signing for that, and which is cool. But for Dave, neither for D Dave's working on visual frameworks. And for me, like I'm working on nothing in the way and a collaboration company. So um I am trying to discern what is my highest and best use and value for others and what's the what's my actual function and what am i available for because you know you have a team and you guys have been building your business for a decade over a decade probably yeah like that's a real you know it's a real commitment and um and i also you know want to write books so i'm sort of like unclear about what i want to do next <laughs> <laughs> what 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 made you start writing books because i don't know in a pre-conversation you just told me that in your studies you were studying serial killers and then you're doing a lot of doodling <laughs> and there's all these different pathways in your, in your past uh, share share with our listeners who, who might not have come across your work before but now after this certainly they're going to click on the links that are below this podcast and it's going to take him to like the green river killer <laughs> <laughs> i was more thinking yeah. about like the way i the way i saw your work first was it's very systematic it's like you know when i saw the game storming yeah that, that was the first book i came across uh, mm -hmm. it got me really excited because i felt like i was in the ikea store of event formats or facilitation nice. things that i could yeah, really totally. like oh yeah yeah like this and that and you know, exactly. the card deck and and it was very systematic yeah um almost like a like a card deck or like uh -huh. a, like a ledger of all sorts of options that you might not have thought of or you forgot that you once knew or here yeah. they are ordered and sequenced in a very kind of deliberate way totally um, yeah so it sounded very rational let's say when mm -hmm. i read all of that it's it's all very rational and very <laughs> and then you meet you know San Kagami and you get to have different <laughs> conversations and I know and it feels say, irrational uh, no but it's very interesting to kind of see the spectrum of mm -hmm. of thinking and right how did how did you go from like because doodling has been a very strong driver yeah, yeah. can you take us through that journey just like in a in a flash to see in a quick way? Well, yeah, I think so. So um, like if I had 60 seconds and it had to do my elevator pitch or whatever. Um, oh, we can take a little longer than that. I mean, don't, <laughs> yeah. don't, feel, don't feel held back. A good conversation. I thinking, lift. Yeah, I was just suddenly designing a game. I'm like, that's actually a fun game. Like you get, you know, like well, anyway, so because I'm always designing facilitation games. So um, 
yeah so quickly the i entered as a graphic recorder do you know what that is mm-hmm. so a, a large for the auditor yeah totally yeah so you guys so it's a large-scale visual note taker that essentially is a silent partner in the articulation of an experience they're mm-hmm. really valuable but they're kind of unsung heroic you know figures on the side because we don't interact we just deeply deeply listen and so i started my career as that which invariably leads into for many people, many of the graphic recording community, it invariably leads to this curiosity around, uh, oh, how can I actually interact with this group? Because you're listening to the problems, you're listening to the landscape they're describing, you're exposed to a ton of topics, and you inevitably become interested in potentially facilitating or interact or consulting. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like a portal. Mm So. So there's, and there's a visual literacy piece to the um, graphic recording, which actually is how doodling kind of bubbled out later. Um, And so I was doing that and then I became a graphic facilitator. And then I eventually met Dave because he was used he was running VizThink. He had VizThink communities. So I started running Mm -hmm. the VizThink Austin, Texas community. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I was, and then we came up with game, we concocted game storming and then and I call the Doodle Revolution, which was the second book, the prequel to game storming, because mm-hmm. it emphasizes the visual language piece, which mm-hmm. actually does enhance game storming. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and it's and it's, you know, it's for anyone. It, it, I was trying to democratize visual language and visual thinking, which I know Dave also does. And a lot of my really great friends do now. And so it's it's awesome. But it's kind of a prequel because. Mm-hmm. It's because there's gaming and then there's visual language and they have overlaps, but they also have they're very different power tools. Um, yeah. And then and then like in a kind of parallel track to that journey, I was like studying personal development and, and engaging in spiritual practice and doing a lot of like healing and recovery. So that always informs facilitation, too. And also it informs event design because you you know, you're creating experiences like to your point it's about mm-hmm. behavior change. So how do you invite people into something that can transform them even in small ways? Mm-hmm. And so all of those in those disciplines were informing each other. And now, and, and, you know, writing, I mean, if I had, like, if I was a, a trust fund baby, do you have that language in your, <laughs> like all, <laughs> I, all I would do seriously is write research and write That's That's what I'll do. I would write. I would, that's what I would do. Like if yeah. I had just total freedom Cause, yeah. but, cause I love all, all the other things, but they take so much energy. It's energy to do events. It's energy to take, to facilitate design. Yeah. I mean, that's intense work, you know? It is. So yeah. I would totally be like slippers, bathrobe, like, you know, typing. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm a typewriter or with yeah. a fountain pen. <clears throat> yeah. With my whiskey, I'd be like, like in Hemingway, you know, <laughs> it'd be so great. Yeah. Right, drunk, edit, sober type. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's so true. Because the the last chapter of the Doodle Revolution, I did. I was hung up, so hungover, but I finally broke through. Like I got it, you know. I was like, okay. I couldn't figure out the closing chapter, and I mm-hmm. and I had written a manifesto mm-hmm. to kick off this conversation about visual thinking. And I anyway, I was hammered the night before. This is t- like ten years ago. <laughs> And then I woke up and I knew what the chapter was. So I was like, this is bad because drinking is good for writing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I did edit sober, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, these are the lessons learned, right? 
<clears throat> right. <laughs> Indeed. Hemingway ended up with cats with six feet or six fingers on their on, on his toes in his in his uh, what was it Key West uh, uh, establishment. Uh, oh son, you just moved across the country to Portland, right? Yeah. That's one of the new adventures um, yes. that you've that you've gone on. Um, yes. <clears throat> what's also interesting is that um, one of our common friends, uh, um, you know, we keep intersecting. Oh, I paths, know. Right. So Danielle, who was on our podcast before, uh, who's also oh. our executive coach, you know, for Rula and myself. She's amazing. And, yeah. and so, and, and I met her through a session with Dave Gray again, that he instigated around, you know, modeling and things that were happening on mural and we've been with them. So yeah. paths keep intersecting. Mm -hmm. um, how do you, let's say with that, current horizon of change right because we 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 spoke about now this idea that writing is a top priority yeah. events gaming visual thinking are power mm -hmm. tools right different types of power tools they inform facilitation and event design yeah um but also events detract maybe energy from the thinking and the writing yeah. um so let's pretend that the writing is like flowing and then you have no events to distract you in the meantime mm. yeah. um <clears throat> can you can you actually write in isolation or is that a collaborative thing that you do i love that question because i don't know if you've looked at substack and i know it's a just a platform for writers and it's like mm. I normally, I'm not an early adopter. I always let other people experiment and test stuff. And then I like, you know, with specific things, other things I'll go way far before anyone thinks I'm sane, but that, but like social media or platforms, I don't. And Substack appealed to me. And what I've, I've been observing is that it's both. It's like, I go into my own space and I feel into what would be valuable and interesting and what is true for me, what I want to speak to. Mm -hmm. um, Cause I used to write, in a way, I used to write very present to what the audience wanted. So I was trained to do that because I was a public speaker mm -hmm. and I still am, but also that takes energy. So I really try not to do that as much, but I was trained by communication strategists to be a little bit obsessed with what the audience needed, not needed to hear, but who they were, mm -hmm. like What's their situation? How do you attend to them? And I, and I got great feedback as a speaker. It would be like, thank you for seeing us. Like mm -hmm. people really appreciated that. But as a writer, um, when I started moving into more personal content, I, I can't please the audience. Like I need to just write what's true. Yeah. And so what, so on Substack, because I want it to be a collaborative community, um, I'm doing both. And I'm, so I'm saying what's true. And then if people don't like it or it freaks them out or it's too intense, or I just don't really care, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just very liberating. Mm -hmm. But I'm also inviting them to play to do gaming. So mm -hmm. I'm saying like I'm I've, what I'm what's emergent is that it's both. It's like this weird truth and sort of authentic um, voice mm -hmm. with an invitation to collaborate. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you were talking about the process of writing, because I know that did you guys write your book together? Yeah, we. I mean, we we we've co-created all of these things and visual yeah. thinking was an important element. Right. So the reason mm -hmm. why. Gul and I at first went to see Dennis, who was at the time at Jam Visual Thinking, was because oh, yeah. it felt like what we were doing required <clears throat> kind of an element yeah. that we didn't magically possess or thought we uh -huh. didn't possess or needed way more practice on than uh, other people already have had. Mm -hmm. um, and so the first book was a, yeah, it was like 
a baby through the nostrils for three guys. It was kind of a painful <laughs> thing, right? Sorry, <clears throat> but it can it, be but really it, painful. But it, but it was a very, um, uh, but the the creation process itself was, mm-hmm. you know, very collaborative in itself, mm-hmm. right? So, and and yeah. I think the book and reflects it. Our second book <clears throat> was actually um, when COVID hit. You know, the one that this podcast is about. Mm-hmm. was extremely collaborative because it was basically raw conversations that we had mm-hmm. that we edited back um, and the process of the writing of the book is in the back of the book as well but it were basically mm-hmm. very raw conversations we had around the conversations that event designers were having with their event owners or not having uh-huh. and how to have them because we had so many people oh, that we had equipped with the ability to yeah. apply what was you know prophesized in book one being okay, there is a mental model, there's sheet music for yeah. events, you can now compose events and do this as a team. Totally. But then people didn't get permission from their event owners to actually go and do that with their teams for mm-hmm. the events that needed to be designed. Yeah. And so the blocker that we created in book one mm-hmm. was actually the reason why we created the companion guide in book two. But also when we had the raw conversations, dissecting it back to something readable was the elegant task of an editor, right? A native English speaker editor who was very patient with us during COVID. Maybe it was because of COVID that he had so much patience with us. (laughs) So much time. (laughs) (laughs) And then Paul Wilkins joined in as well for, you know, giving, giving every chapter kind of this, this event owner's perspective kind of element to it. So there's a very specific cadence to the book. Yeah. Then the better version of the book was actually tested in an event Oh, that's people so cool. that didn't know that we were testing yeah. the book in the event because it was a did you not tell them, you didn't like you didn't tell them on purpose or yeah it was also we were writing it we were validating the thinking it was basically yeah. the masterminds of you know that had gone through our program event design certificate program that, and those people basically consumed the content of the book mm-hmm. in one of the mastermind sessions mm-hmm. uh, or in, in a three-day thing but it's two days two one, two week gap and then a third day Mm-hmm. and in those two weeks we shipped a personalized beta version of the book to them nice which they didn't know uh by post awesome. you know during COVID, which was kind of fun and then yeah we like surprised for the third day and then we took another couple of months after that to review all of the content and get them to to really challenge us on our thinking and whether this would wow. could be improved so yeah so basically the event was a book turned inside out and then yeah. the event ended up being a book that's kind of what what happened. So it was a, it was specific to the alumni. That's who your pop your testing population was. Yeah, yeah, it was people okay. that were yeah uh, that were stuck with the problem, right, of yeah. speaking to the event owners, mm-hmm. and because the book addressed that challenge, um, and the ability to use it as a practice, mm-hmm. right, and 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 that conversation that you need to have, mm-hmm. and the frustration we had, son, was really that you cannot put a conversation in a book right? It's terrible Mm -hmm. to put a conversation in a book. It's hard to do. It's very hard to do. And that's why we have this podcast is to have the conversations that cannot Mm -hmm. be had in the book. Yet there's worksheets, there's like augmented realities, all sorts of stuff around the visuals that have been developed around it. But the the event design principles of facilitation, the gaming, the visual thinking Mm -hmm. um, is augmented by the perpetual conversations that we're having with people like yourself yeah on top of the book right so the book has a life in a podcast hopefully yeah and this is like uh, 
our way of like, geeking out with people we really like and listening to them and getting other that's people what to I mean. be able to it's in. like you're a future me like because we did some we we so you know business model gen that book so Absolutely. that was a, that was a collaborative effort by patrick and alex and then um you know, Dave, we did game storming and there was like some aspects of the, this community, like game storming had these like, uh, you know, um, open source global communities of practitioners who did inform all kinds of stuff. And yeah. so I want to do that with a book around collaboration, but, um, but it's like, I was thinking about what, so that's just a side note. What's yeah. interesting to me though, is that this piece about the requirement of the deeper training is like, the canvas, you know, it's an elegant thing and you, it, it helps people feel like they can get a handle on this really nebulous, you know, but significant thing that's happening. And then invariably you run into that place where you can't just, it's not a rote application. Like you can't just, it's not, it's not widgets, right? And that's as true with game storming. That's true with Doodle Revolution. And it's going to be true with the collaboration book that I'm, I'm working on. And mm -hmm. so, it just feels like books, if they have that component of interactivity and sort of testing and prototyping and application, they're just big projects. They're huge projects. And so I'm like, why does all, why is every book I create have to be like interactively, you know, uh, like educational? Awesome. I'm like, yeah, like, why don't I write a memoir that nobody wants to interact with, you know? <laughs> It's just so much freaking work, but it's fun. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, it's such play. Like the play is so great. So yeah. And, and, and I think it has to be play. Like you say, if, yeah. if, if that becomes work. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. <laughs> I, I, I like for you, how you, you know, going from visual recording and graphically like it's an extremist form of listening, right? <laughs> that totally. Totally. That you then, you know, the way Dennis likes to say that, take a hammer and hit a reality situation that's been discussed over the head with a hammer and turn it into a 2P, 2D piece of paper. Mm -hmm. That is amazing work. It but is. But I also feel very often, and we've had this discussion often because people often compare our work to that or or mm -hmm. sometimes Dennis gets put in that square and he really doesn't like it because he's yeah. like, yeah, but I don't just, because the outcome of that is really cool for yeah. for an instant. Well, that's the thing is that it's, but it's not, hard to keep alive. It's, that's you know, right. it's yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It's like and minutes of a meeting in a highly visual way, which is super that's cool. Right. It, totally. But the and gap I, between the user and, and your skill level is so yeah, big that yeah. encouraging others to try and do that is, is difficult, right? Yeah. Well, I think Dennis, if he, if he finds it frustrating, it's because it feels reductionist when people mm. see a graphic recorder and they think that that's, the extent of their knowledge and talent and expertise, which they invariably do. And so I got, I got that shit all the time. Like I'd be fucking like doing and some, I mean, it was so I, at some point I would, and I cussed just so, you know, like that's going to happen. <laughs> we'll put the expressing mark on this one. We have, we have more <laughs> of these episodes. Don't worry. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of research that shows healthy people do cuss, but anyway, um, so <laughs> I'll send that on my links. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah do that do that yeah no but like seriously because it but in my early career I got that all the time you get you mostly you get appreciation and you get you know um respect and you get people saying wow it'd be it would stress me out to stand there but you also do get reduced to that 
Mm. And it is, and if you have expertise and um, it is frustrating and irritating. So if Dennis does get um, that happens to him again, I would just say to him that it's not about you. It's about them. And yeah. it's not personal because I know it hurts. It can hurt people's feelings. So I can just, just send him my love and tell him that it's not about him. It's about <laughs> their lack of curiosity. And that has nothing to do with him. And I think the, the, the expression of how, you know, the role of visuals and how we um, take conversations into, or, you know, take concepts, you know, complex concepts and hit them over the head with that hammer and then yeah. make them re-conversational, right? Based yeah. on what's in that visual, the visual draws people into the, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to the creator of this, but yeah, but I like, love hearing us, about it. To us and to Dennis, I think what, what what I'm seeing there is that it's encouraged us to do way more of that ourselves and encourage our our you know practitioners to do that so same cool. thing. Mm -hmm. um, but the visuals are such an important like all of our books. A third is visual, a third is blank mm -hmm. space, a third is letters. Mm -hmm. That's just the standard kind of design criteria. Approach. Mm -hmm. Would and, you have been able to do your work without visual language? No, I don't think so. No. Yeah, I think we oh. would have been. Yeah. No, I think it would have fallen flat on its face just mm -hmm. for the fact that mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, the breakthroughs of um, like the extremist behavior of real, really hitting something over the head by reducing the max amount of words and making it very explanatory mm -hmm. or even, you know, happy mistakes we made in terms of designing the canvas where ultimately mm -hmm. we discovered that the middle part of it, which is the whole purpose of you know, the prototypes of how you spend your time at an event, which is basically yeah. the quickest part of the design cycle, but it's the, you can only do it once you've framed the problem. And once you articulated the change really clearly, we mm -hmm. spend a lot of time in analysis and rolling in the problem. And then the prototyping goes really quickly at the end. Yeah. But what came out is that little hourglass that's in the middle. Mm -hmm. Somehow that's what we scribbled down when we created the canvas and it's become very functional, but we, it was like so almost cool. like subliminal when we created it. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the beauty of like, when you just do work, then you start to get insights into what you're doing reverse engineered. So yeah. did you, so you were designing events prior to your launch, like all of you were in your own ways. Yeah. So we were all heavily involved in the events. <clears throat> and were you an event producer? Yeah, so we ran events as professional conference organizers yeah, okay. uh, wow. know, from That's the venue cool. side. From So we, you know, Hul and I have done events for the better part of two decades or longer when we yeah, started okay. doing this. And actually born out of frustration that everybody kept talking about, you know, we need a seat at the table and event people are never being taken seriously. And it was this whole kind of syndrome of, you know, um, not not being taken seriously, right? It's or, yeah. or being dumbed down when it comes to something that, People spend an obscene amount of time and money on. It's like facilitation. Yeah. Facilitation yeah. gets mis mis seen. Maybe because it's like a nascent or it's something that's not been articulated as such for a long time, right? It's it's fairly new. It hasn't been around the long uh, around as long as banking or as right. Well, I also think the skills right? are are a little more intangible. Like banking is a hard, you know, you can get a spreadsheet and designate metrics and like demonstrate, which is the language of these systems that organize these things. They only respect and understand language that can be broken down in that way. And I think event coordinating and is ineffable. There's an ineffable yeah. quality. Yes, there are some hard logistics, obviously, but yeah. the experiential exchanges 
you can't quantify them. They're much harder to quantify and you can't even see them and yeah. articulating them is challenging. And yeah. that's true for, that's true for all the fields that are like art, you know, and yeah. um, I think facilitation is both an art and a science. And so it just, and so is collaboration. Yeah. And so that's why we're going to make assessments because I'm like, if you want me to speak your language, fine. You know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> do the thing because you can yeah. do quantum stuff. But yeah, so so that's that's cool. Thanks for that backstory a little bit because I didn't know the entirety of your journey. You know, and I know there's more to it. But so that's so cool. So y'all are we're so similar. Exactly. Like, and I think, and I think what's interesting is when the when the you know you were saying it's ineffable and uh, noetic. Uh, and you mm -hmm. use the word nebula before, which is something that we, you know, the nebula of change is something that we talk about in the book because it's so nebulous. It's so hard to grasp. Right. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but I think also like you intersect with people that are on similar wavelengths or yeah. somehow at some stage. And I think that's, um, that's really cool when yeah. that happens and the information gets like vectorized and it's like, tick, 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 you know, the things kind of yeah. fall together. We yeah. get a lot of people that, you know are are part of our community that are like they completely geek out when they see the book game storming or they bring it to us and go do you know this book you know <laughs> which is <laughs> which is super cool right it is and and to us it's like because you found you found that sense of belonging in a group of people that geek out on the same stuff but also yeah. like you said the when people have an operating system or or vision you know a language they can speak to each other and get each other yeah oh my god it's so comforting Right. Oh my God. It's so validating and affirming and super comforting. And I'm always thankful when I have those interactions. Yeah. And I think everyone is, it's a human need to yeah. have uh, be seen and heard in ways that are actually have fidelity to who you are. You know, it's yeah. really a yeah. nice experience. So that's, what's cool about your business. That's what I mean. It's like, are people drawn who are drawn to event design? I know you have questions for me too, but when people like, is there, what, what is there, what kind of person is drawn to that? And then it just in an archetype, if there was like an archetype of an event designer, mm -hmm. are they, like, are they, cause they're not like military generals or are they sometimes? Um, sometimes what they do is very militaristic. Yeah, it could yeah, be. Yeah, right. They have to have that <laughs> you know, running running a large event. You know, currently, yeah. like today, there's an event running the World Education Congress that you know we help design every year, mm -hmm. um, or regularly, not in mm -hmm. every edition. But now we're designing the 2027 edition of that whilst this one is running, and the one Whoa. that runs that event calls it a controlled explosion, right? So it's almost more like it's like a Manhattan Project, right? Like every event is like a Manhattan Project. Only you need to contain the explosion to the degree where it's still relevant, right? So, well, and nobody's going to be radiated. So, no, no, and here it's only like good radiation. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's good radiation. It's, it's like, like the is that a thing? Sun, right? it, yeah, it it's like benevolent. Up. Okay, good, good, okay. good. <laughs> yeah, because um, you know, Dave used an AK 47 metaphor the other day, and I was like, I feel like we need to unpack that a little bit. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, he meant it in a good way, but it just doesn't sound so great. No, anyway. No. No, and I think the, I mean, the art of running large-scale events is really about <clears throat> containing mm. the boundaries of tolerance around what can and cannot happen, right? Uh -huh. like, it's about the predictability and the unpredictability of things that happen when people get together. Yeah. It's super cool, but it's yeah. also very unpredictable. And the level of predictability can be improved if you put multiple brains together that have experience in that or yeah. might not have experience in that and just think about it together. 
And that's the whole, that's the whole thing about event design is it's, it's synchronized thinking of multiple prefrontal cortexes uh -huh. with some level of accuracy, uh, very low levels of accuracy, but, but the fidelity like goes up because of the group there's of people risk, doing yeah, it but You're describing risk, risk, like sort of reduction, but then it's a risk reward, like, you know, lever yeah. that you keep pushing well, at every interval. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because, you know, I mean, it's, I'm just speculating. So, cause you have to have, obviously the, um, things can't fall apart, but you also want to create that experience of like delight, like when that stuff becomes invisible, then you have that opportunity, you know, or seamless. So it's not creating yeah. problems for people. Then you have that opportunity. So it's like, so maybe the archetype of people is that they're both, they're, they're very like whole aspect people then, because they mm. have to be skillful at the logistics and the uh, militarization of the experience, but you guys design help people design things that are compelling and and engaging and and um, transformative. So that to me is this innovative, creative space. Yeah, know? and 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 one of the things we we've stopped doing, which is also something we find a lot of people have in common in this space, is that most of them are quite experienced with events or know quite a a, a, few, a few things about events, mm -hmm. <clears throat> but we don't do events anymore except for on trainings, right? So yeah. All we do is design because yeah. I know there's an army of people out there that are really good at delivery. Like if you give them a good narrative, they'll, they'll put it to life. Right. Mm. Yeah. Y'all moved so, into the Yeah. So you don't want to be tied up in, in all that tediousness of, you know, exactly. containing all of those cubicles, right. Which right. is, which is very tedious. I've done a lot of it and it's, yeah. So people are really good at that. I'm yeah. Not, right. Well, <laughs> I'm sure that. you are, but you probably put in your time. Right. Yeah, I, I think probably I think better it's the than your average of learning. Player. And then, but the other interesting thing is that some of our best designers are actually people that know nothing about events or yeah. are interested by events, like students, right? So yeah. we run a EDC Young Professionals program at universities. Love they it. might not have done all that many events, but at the end of the day, they're extremely good designers because they don't they don't worry about having their feet yeah. in the clay and how difficult it is. Right. Yeah, that's what, that's what I'm saying. Once you put in your time, you know how intense it is. And once you road tested like all the different permutations, yeah, at a certain point, you invariably will move. And y'all and y'all skillfully did that, which is awesome that you carved out that space and kind of pioneered that. But it also makes sense because it is so you got to have the energy of a young, naive person, you know, yeah. 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 <laughs> and every team that designs has to have that all all over again, every single yeah. time. Right? Yeah. And the curiosity of like digging into, you know, we don't call them personas, but, you know, basically mm -hmm. a stakeholder that needs to be analyzed. Right. It sounds very like almost as yeah. if they're like a medical case, but yeah. th that's really what it is. Like, oh, entry behavior, exit behavior. What's the delta in the middle? We, we, we turn it into a cold set of, let's say, narrative facts yeah. in order to understand how to deliver on those deltas. Um. So but really this boils down back and I'll, I'll pop the question back to you because when I first read <clears throat> um, game storming, mm -hmm. um, what I really liked is you, you peeled apart all of these layers of complexity and you've, you've almost provided like an inspirational deck for facilitation to the degree yeah. where the gaming part of it and the facil facilitation part of it becomes a much richer repository of options. Mm -hmm. Um Almost like the difference between how, you know, a chef reads a cookbook and um, a beginning uh, amateur chef mm -hmm. uh, or amateur cook starts to yeah. cook, right? Yeah. Just before you, I had Trevor yeah. Louis on on on, a, on our podcast, 
I, I'd, I'd really like you to listen to him and I want to introduce him to you. Awesome. He is, he is, um, he's a really prolific chef here in Toronto. Oh, uh, sweet. And somebody in this industry that gets the bigger picture. Interesting. And, and he, he was explaining because he wrote a cookbook called Double Happiness, which I think you'd like because mm -hmm. the way chefs read and write cookbooks is very different at different stages in their careers. And that's oh. almost kind of how I feel like yeah. I'm looking forward to game storming seeing the original and seeing what what's coming next uh -huh. uh, yeah. that's gonna be very interesting to see yeah uh -huh. yeah we have been working on the table of contents um it's like it's kind of a side project for both dave and i so i wonder i don't think i think we'll be addressing some of the um evolution the request the request from readers but we're neither one of us are making it like the elaborate book uh, creation process because it's not our main stay yeah you know yeah. So I think it will be great, but I think it was already pretty great. And so <laughs> it's not going to be like, it's not going to transform dramatically. Let me put it that way, but right. it will have, it will be updated and have a lot of different um, things that people requested. Yeah. And what I was going to say, oh, about the chef. So that's so interesting. That makes so much sense. And I, oh, the, I, there's another guy you should interview that maybe I can tell you later, but he runs late night art. And I don't know if you know him, I'm meeting him today too, but okay. uh he might be a really fascinating person to have on your podcast. So I'll bring that up. But um, this, this is yeah. how new conversations and connections get made in a podcast about a podcast. About conversations. <laughs> I'm like, I want to be the chef. Yes. Introduce me to a chef. <laughs> I love cooks, cookbooks. Love it. And I'm yeah. curious because because you I think you become more strategic. Like that's the thing is like you, it's, it's just like a scientist. It's like an early scientist. You do all the tinkering and then you start to have these insights into the nature of whatever it is that you're looking at. And yeah. then you start in like linking it to these bigger pictures. And so it's such a cool journey, you know, big time. I mean, I was so, scared. Oh, go ahead. No, no. Well, when I was a graphic recorder, um, at, when I started my career, I ex actually expressed this to Dave and he was reassuring at the time because I said, I'm, I don't want to be a graphic recorder my whole career. I, I, I mean, I was really clear from the beginning that I wanted to evolve and yeah. he was like, you won't be. He just was so blunt. And this was, was Dave like, Sibbett at the, at the Grove or was this Dave Gray? No, this was Dave Gray. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Dave Sibbett. Yeah, no, he was a wonderful person. He was a wonderful mentor. Um, but no, this was Dave Gray. And he was just like, so blunt. He didn't like elaborate. He was like, you won't be. And then, and then I was like, perfect. Thank you. <laughs> That's all I did. Thanks for the validation. Cause I don't want to be. And he was right. Like it just was a way in to something. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. And, it, and it's, and it's also an acquired. Now, let me ask you this question. Hmm. Um, the skills that you acquired by doing that, how critical yeah. is it in what you're doing today? Oh, absolutely crucial. So, and it's, and it's the listening piece, but it's also the visual language piece. And it's also the, the confidence piece, you know, I mean, it is improvisational. You do not know what's going to happen. You, you do take risks creatively mm -hmm. and you take those risks in front of other people and mm -hmm. you take them on a large scale. People can see what you're doing. It's not, you're not sketch noting in a small little thing. It's like big. Um, mm -hmm. And sometimes they put you on the stage with the CEO and, you know, you're, it's, it's like, so a lot of those skills were, you know, in the trenches, super crucial and, I, and listening for sure. I mean, I've been admiring how well you listen because you do listen and you integrate and synthesize um, and then you re reflect. So that's actually really not common skill. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you knew that. Mm -hmm. uh, so all of those skills. So a lot of times when there's a creative kid, you know, who wants to 
doesn't know what to do with themselves and they might have an inclination toward visual language, it's a great career path. It's a really good career path because you don't know where it's going to take you. You don't know who you're going to meet. And it has a ton of skills that you can um, apply in other areas. So I often will. And you make good money. So it's yep. like it's so and you travel like it's a win, 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 you know, so. Yep. Um, so those are they were all foundational skills for yeah. sure. Yeah. I think that's amazing. And it's actually a skill set that most people acquire for the first six, seven years of their life, but then they stop developing it, right? And yeah. They I, get a I feel smile. that pain. I'm I'm, you know, I'm I'm still practicing a lot. My my mom is an artist. She's a phenomenal oh, wow. artist. Um, but that probably causes you stress though, because then you have like a standard by which you can <laughs> you know <laughs> like, is she good at it? Because that's harder. <laughs> and then and I think she's she's very humble about it. But she, like when I, I remember calling her when when I start tried to make my first real painting, and I bought all the kit as you do, right? As a non artist, and you're like, oh, let's make a painting, right? Yeah, and then, right. And I called her for advice, and like, how do you know how what should be the approach? Is said, well, I'm not going to help you on this one, but I'll give you only one tip, and that's like take the biggest brush you have, take any color, and just fill the void of the white canvas, and uh -huh. then after that, it will automatically. Oh, God, that's a good tip. She right, just like is, deleted the fear of the white space. Yeah. That's so cool. And I think, you know, the fear of the white space also when you like, you know, when I sometimes see this graphic facilitation happening, mm -hmm. um, uh, but also when I consider, you know, the role of visuals at events today. Yeah. Uh, and the integrative kind of approach that we also try to take there when you turn a narrative into a visual and it becomes so much easier to carry it for other people to other yeah. people. Mm -hmm. yeah. But the translation part of the narrative to the visual, like the reductionist element in that yeah. is, that's an extremely difficult kind mm -hmm. of skill to acquire or it requires a lot of practice, right? It's, oh, tons. Tons. It's, it's, it's like, you know, learning how to play an instrument, but then through a single pen or a series yeah. of pens. Yeah, um, it's a linguistic talent. And um, when I, because I, I used to teach graphic recording and um, I broke down what a person is actually doing when they're listening and then transmuting that. And there are so many sophisticated moves that your brain mm -hmm. has to make. Mm -hmm. And not everyone is ling linguistically oriented. So like in terms of actual written text-based language. So uh, if, if, if people find that to be a source of frustration and it's not ever going to be a muscle that they really get really skillful at, then they have another strategy, which is to emphasize the met their skill in visual metaphor or mm. their graphic vocabulary or their capacity for synthesizing and creating scenes. Like, but yeah, I mean, it's, it is, it is so sophisticated. That's what's crazy is it doesn't, it looks like people just are like, yay, that's so cute. And I'm like, you have no idea how exhausted we all are right now. <laughs> like we're athletes, we're like visual athletes. Yeah. And it's like kind of, and that's what I used to charge a ton. Cause I was like, I would here, do you want to try this? You know, yeah. I, I was yeah. such, I was so brazen about my pricing. <laughs> no, and I think you have to be right. Cause it's yes. like, you know, at the end of the day, um, you can only spend the energy once, like you said, or the time that you spend on something. And people mm -hmm, are conscious right. of that, especially yeah. after COVID. I think people are even way more conscious than that. Yeah. That's why they go to less and less events and select the ones they go to much more critically. Right. Yeah. right. Of course, they're not flagrant about it anymore. Um, well, yeah. So, yeah, a, a lot of people are, have become much more critical 
mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, well, Makes sense. here's 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 the thing. We could spend one year talking to each other, and we'll never run out of things to say, son. I'm sure <laughs> that could happen. But yeah. I'd like to challenge you with one additional question, which yeah. is a very simple yes or no answer. Okay. Um, uh, may I call on you again a year from today? Um, to look back at your horizon of change um, from our conversation today on the 14th of June, 2023. Um, And then we'll have like, not that we won't speak between now and then, but we'll have like a one-year gap between this recording of what we talked about today and next year's. Yes. Would you accept that challenge? I accept that challenge. Mm, It's actually helpful because it gives me like, a sense you'll be able to reflect to me what's changed, even though I may not be able to discern that myself. That's a wonderful invitation. Thank awesome. you. Awesome. Yeah. So we we will do that. So I'm going to send you that invite from a year yes. from today, and I'll remind you about <laughs> the that. change that we discussed today. Exactly. Uh, but we're not done yet, right? Mm-hmm. For those that want to hear more about the backstage conversation, uh, this is an invitation to join us in this little after episode that we're going to do backstage in a minute. Um, Sun, thanks so much for being on this episode today. It was a real treat. It was my pleasure. Thank you. You won't get me to leave you alone now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's, let's meet backstage. Okay. This has been another episode of the design to change designer conversation series. Explore these conversations and additional content at designtochange.online. Want more right now? Tune into the backstage episode of this conversation and hear what the experts discuss offstage. Nice.